1: back for another episode of the x-man podcast i'm your host doc Coyle. thanks for checking out the show gotta apologize for missing last week's episode i just got overwhelmed <laughs> good lord yeah we um bad wolves our singer dl flew in last week and then he was supposed to come in a couple days early and then there was a snowstorm out East and that kind of latest flight and basically was coming out here to start rehearsing for our tour, starting in March, Papa Roach and Hollywood undead along with, you know, recording promo materials and stuff for social media. And we're doing some like acoustic versions of some songs and some cover stuff and just kind of a mishmash of, of everything. And it's been kind of since, two or three days before I even got here have been kind of a breakneck pace for myself. So I wanted to get a show out, but I was <laughs> recording these acoustic versions and they're really time consuming. And yeah, I would spend like 10 hours doing <laughs> one song cause they, they have to be perfect. Uh, and, and I'm not even saying they are perfect, but they have to be played really tightly. The guitar has to be in tune. If you make any noise, it's, it's really challenging. Um, but, so that's why I missed last week, and I hate missing shows, but it just has to happen sometimes because can't get it right. Uh, and last week, I mean, it's so funny how quickly, I guess, the news cycle moves, because last week I was gonna talk about every time I die breaking up. And it it's weird because now it feels like a whole, <laughs> other story or we've kind of not that people have moved on but it's it's interesting how things are it reminds me of that scene in in Back to the Future 2 where uh Griff and all his all in the future all all his his homies uh fly into the building and they get arrested and within minutes after that there's a news story showing everything that that, that happens and, it, and I I definitely feel feel like that's how quickly news moves right at the, at, So you can have a story in the morning by evening. There's already a new story and people have kind of moved on. And, and those things feel like the most important thing in the world at the time until, you know, like a dog chasing cars, we just kind of move on to the next thing. But, but yeah, man, it's, uh, it's interesting. I don't, I cannot remember a band breaking up and people being this publicly upset by it. And it's interesting because I think a lot of times, when bands a lot a lot of bands break up, but they don't really break up. <laughs> you know, they just kind of stop doing stuff, and it's like, oh, my comic romance stuff isn't really doing anything. I'm like, I don't remember them officially breaking up, but you're just like, oh, that band isn't active anymore, and it's just rare. And you know, I I guess the the backdrop of it is how public it was and how personal, it seemed, and I don't know, and I, I haven't really talked much about it uh, publicly, or I, I haven't really at all, um, except basically just saying that it that it sucks. But I'll say this, they're the band, I think, I think for me being in a band, and, and they came up basically the same time as God forbid. We played together for the first time in Syracuse in a bookstore. You know, I want to say it was ninety nine or ninety eight, something like that. So I go, I go way back with those guys. I met Andy Williams at CC's in Muskingum, Pennsylvania. In, like I said, I think it was ninety nine, probably, probably around that, around that same time. Played with him not too long after that, and uh, so, you know, you come up together and you, you diverge right you know my, my band ended early and you see kind of these these paths of, of success and they're they're one of those bands that you know kind of the the hair the slow hair wins wins the race and i feel like they were bigger and kind of more relevant than ever their, re- their last record i think was their best album and they're like that married couple that you kind of look up to you're like oh man they're they're a model couple and the truth is, we're we're not around those couples when uh they're not in public, and we're not around bands uh when the the doors are closed and they're in their intimate settings. And and you know, having been through through one band breakup and then everything that bad badwells went through uh for the past year and change. I have a lot of experience with this stuff. Uh, so I, it, with with the band breakup side of it, and then also the kind of public food fight element of it. And I, I definitely hate hate that stuff. And because, I, you know, I don't want to take sides. You don't really know what's true. You don't know the complexities of it. And it's just, I, I personally, I, like, I don't want to see court papers, lawyers papers p- publicly put out there. I just I just think it's it's pretty ugly and unfortunate because there's probably always a better way to handle things. Like, like I said, you could say with everything with the town battles, you could say look look who's talking uh to some degree. And yeah, I get I get that. Uh but that situation I feel the same way. I I it's definitely my my preference to to handle these things and yeah we just it's it's definitely it's definitely some some ugliness but it's it's a shame man because man people just just love that band in a in a really unique way and it was a really beautiful thing to see kind of a a community uh and kind of like a little culture build build around a band and a band that's always been fairly unique uh in their sonically and lyrically and they're kind of um sense of kind of ironic humor around the band and not taking themselves too seriously and being have only having all these other talents with you know keith as a writer and jordan as an artist and uh andy with the wrestling and stuff i mean they're just kind of kind of one of a kind so so it is definitely an end end of an era and you definitely hate to uh see it end that way and i just i just wish all those guys well because i've known them a long time and and they've always been good real cool motherfuckers and so anyway, it is, it is sad, but life goes on, you know, there's everything ends. And the, I guess the more I kind of think about that, it's just like, that's how I kind of approach everything. Everything, everything ends, man. Nothing's going to last forever. So when you have the bands like the Metallica's and the Iron Maidens and ACDC's doing this stuff, Rolling Stone's still doing this stuff for 40 years, 50 years or whatever. Some, some of this, it's like just be thankful. And you know, I, I, hate when people go, Oh, such and such should hang it up. It's like, if people want to go see them, if they buy their records and they show up at their shows and they enjoy it, like why do you give a fuck? <laughs> I, I never understood that. It's like, well then stop <laughs> watching them. You know, you don't, everything's not for everyone, but the people that enjoy it, I'm sure do enjoy it. So anyway, rest in peace ever to my die. You never know. Hopefully, uh, you know the situation uh, calms down at some point, and you know you you, you want peace. I'm a definitely type of guy who seeks resolution and peace in all in all situations. I don't I don't like grudges, and, and hope those things get, get get worked out. But it's personal, man. You have stuff that builds up over decades. Uh, there's a lot of deep wounds there, and especially with family, which I, I also understand. Uh, having a brother in a band there's a lot to this story that I that I relate to. But anyway, yeah, but also, you know, just kind of going back to the bad wolves thing. I just I've been grinding uh with all this stuff and I'm I'm completely shot. No sleep. Face looks like a boiled potato. <laughs> um yeah, I'm, re- I'm 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 really kind of worked right now, so trying to spin a lot of plates and it's interesting because I don't know. There's, there's this thing like like we're working, we're grinding. and I said these rehearsals, man. The band has never sounded better. It's actually pretty pretty incredible how how great we sound. We got a whole new rig, like with our uh, tracks and uh, our inputs and any. I got new in ears, and you know we've reworked our guitar tones, and you know these new songs are just sounding killer. Um, but I think there's this like underlying thing of like this pressure to to do it, to continue and, and have everything work out and the band do all these things. And I, so I think it, that extra pressure of like having to go out there and, and be, be great, you know, is like, you know, it, 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 wears on you. It's funny. Cause I, I, I had, I recognize this feeling to times in God forbid, where you're like, you just want things to work out so badly that you kinda, you, you press and you push And it's, it's important to kind of remember that you need all that to kind of Excel, right. To get that extra edge, to just work harder and put more time in, but it's also really important to remember, you can't control everything and you can't control the results and you just kind of have to do your best, but also like, uh, detach yourself from desire in a weird way, because it's easy to get crestfallen it's easy to get uh down if you if you build up uh expectations that may not even be realistic you know so that's that's kind of this this balance i'm trying to play mentally between grinding and busting my ass doing everything my power to uh succeed i want to i want to succeed in life i'm an ambitious person but also like get buddhist with it and not desire and not be results focused and be focused on process uh, and that's a tough one because our ego wants to control, wants to control. Oh, I can do I'm, I'm this, I'm, you know, so it's a tough balance. Alrighty. We have a show sponsor. And so I have to give a shout out to uh Nick bell at God size records. He, he bought out a block of sponsorship. So like for the next couple months, like every other week, they're going to be sponsoring the show and Thank huge thanks, then That's just that's really that kind of support is is really wonderful and i I really appreciate it. But the first band on this list is a band called on Godsize Records. They're called Redefined, and this song's called Images. <laughs> just heard redefined with their brand new song images from the 2021 ep of the same name released on god size records and these fellas are from greenville south carolina it's like a i don't know my vibe was just felt like old school new metal you know like like it it felt like a little bit of a, a a throwback you know and that's fun stuff and they do it well and uh so anyway, so they have a few EPs out going back to like 2018 and you can check that out on their, uh, band camp. and keep, keep in mind the band's name. There's no E at the end. So it's R E D E F I N D that's a, see, it makes it more Googleable that way. So smart, smart thing, fellas. And, uh, you can check that out and it's uh redefined to dot bandcamp.com and. You can also go to their Facebook, which is fa- facebook.com backslash redefined band. And they have a couple shows coming up um, in February with Texas Hippie Coalition. They're gonna be playing uh February 25th at uh Nasty's Grubbery and Poorhouse in Huntsville, Alabama. And oh I think, hold on. Let me get this other date. See, I'm trying to trying to get everything. They're gonna be playing February 24th, the day before. It's got these out of order at uh, the Warehouse Concert Lounge and event Center in Clarksville, Tennessee. Also with Texas Hippie Coalition. So just check them out. Go over to Godsize Records website, R E C S dot com, and uh, check out all their bands because they have plenty of great bands. And if you'd like to sponsor the show, just uh, shoot me an email at the X Man Podcast at gmail dot com. Remember that is E X. All right. With all that stuff out of the way, it's time to get into the guest proportion. Do I say proportion? <laughs> guest portion. I told you guys I'm tired, but I like leaving the mistakes in. I feel like it's authentic. You know, I could have I, I redid that, but you know what? We're keeping it redefined. See, see what I did there? And so we have someone I've wanted to have bring on the show since i had this show and you know what i like to do i don't just like to have the band guys i like to have the behind the scenes people and especially ones that have had a really big impact on my career and my life and we have a man named willie g who is if you're in the metal community he is one of the most i guess renowned and famous within (laughs) the community of metalheads as a crew guy or guitar tech gets and that's because he just has just a one in a million personality and he's just done so many great things uh for myself and uh god forbid uh my old band and he's just he's a legend in his own time and i really wanted to hear his story on this show and kind of let you guys know what the other people that uh without without which these professional bands could not do the work and put on the shows and it's important to put a highlight on them. And They're also just amazing people and, and, uh, and I, and I love them. So without further ado to those who know, know, check out my conversation with the incredible Mr. Willie G. What's happening, dude? <laughs> I'm so hungover. <laughs> yeah i just my buddy was playing last night and like yeah i remember like went in and like i saw a friend of mine i'm like oh you want a shot i was like and like they poured like these like giant shots it hit me a little harder and i i realized i woke up woozy but that's right i got coffee you know i'm I'm gonna make it work (laughs) but thank you so much man for uh for taking the time to do this. I'm in my little honeycomb hideout here, so you know. Where where are you now?
0: I'm a, I'm at home in Chicago. I'm in the basement where I set up and I do a lot of my uh, uh, little guitar stuff. I got guitars I'm trying to fix and uh, little things. I'm trying to figure out how to um, work Logic Pro X and stuff. So I have like things hung up to try to like baffle noise and but it, ain't, hmm. it ain't really working, but you know, I'm trying to work with
1: what I got. <laughs> you you never used logic before are you just, no. starting? Damn, yeah, I'm just starting I you know do you know sean andrew chuck who is that uh
0: this guy sean andrew chuck he played uh in a band called Starkill, but he was also a tech and he was from the chicago area but he moved out west i think he's in seattle now mm-hmm. but he sold some stuff and he upgraded his computer and he sold me his old mac and okay. it's got logic pro x on it so i'm trying to figure out you know I'm, ba- I'm barely touching stuff so it's like, I'm, at this point i'm still even trying to uh figure out where some of my microphones are i got like a really nice um ev uh re20 and i can't locate it but i moved a lot of stuff uh to a storage locker that i have mm-hmm. and it's about as organized as the rest of my life is so i just can't find
1: shit so. <laughs> hey man you gotta this day and age it's like with kempers and the plugins you don't you barely even dude or i use this thing called um a uh two notes uh oh. torpedo so i yep. run my evh at home so it's the real tube sound and it sounds great no mics it's great no no you're not making a bunch of noise I, you know i don't even have anything against like kemper and things like that but it's i
0: i, I kind of <laughs> i'm not a musician so it, it, at the end of the day it doesn't really um what do you mean you're not really a musician? Matter. You play? <laughs> I play, but I mean I'm not let's say I'm not I'm not an active or or professional musician. Sure. Uh, by a long shot. So it doesn't really matter to me, but uh, th- there just seems to be this like, I can't even say it's a trend, it's just a progress. But I'm old and I'm stuck in my ways, and I'm I, I <laughs> dig in against you know certain things. I've, if I'm looking this way, my screen on on, my, on the laptop I'm using is totally messed up, so I'm looking at an external monitor that's over here. That's okay. See if I can at least make it look like I'm looking at. Uh, I can't.
1: So whatever. It's all good. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But um, so I'm trying to. Yeah, I guess you're the only guitar tech I've I've had on the, this show or or drum tech or anything. Like I said, I had Steve Lagudi. Uh, who's, you know, God forbid, old sound guy and currently works for Machine Head on the show. But mm-hmm. uh, you're someone, from the moment I started this show, I was like, I need Willie G on this show. Oh, you want Mr. No Filter on the show, I get it. No, well, it's, it's not It's not even, listen, of course, I'm not mad at that, but no, to me, you're like a legend amongst us bands. Like like Like, if you do like a Facebook post, right? And you see like how many comments and likes like I feel like you're a bigger star in the in the metal scene than the band, than the bands like we we all like you more than we like each other that's that's
0: a two part thing too because it's you know one thing I'm not if I put something up that I think is important uh, maybe it's got a little bit of like a social political angle something to it. pin drops. I put something stupid up, and there's like two hundred and thirty seven. Equally dumb responses to it. And I don't, I've noticed that if I put up something that's like serious, if I put up something that's like, you know, somebody needs help with something, or there's something that I find is like troublesome, that, you know, to invoke maybe a, a conversation about how we as a species need to deal with some subject and then go on from there, nobody says anything. Or if they do, they'll post something on there that has absolutely nothing to do with what i'm talking about but then if i you know if you put up like some stupid meme then all of a sudden everybody's it's it's like you know i I don't want to say the idiocracy thing but i just said it so it's you know it's it's a baffling thing It, it really frustrates me to a certain point but i've also had some people say um that they don't interact with me but they sit there and they read stuff and they will like a lot of times just laugh at either what I said or somebody's response to it so it turns out that there's I'm not going to mention names but there's a lot of people said yeah you know I, I I don't interact with you on there I don't say much but I read all this stuff and I think you know so it's like and that's that's a little unsettling at times you know but uh but at the end of the day I kind of don't care because I'm going to say what I'm going to say anyway and it usually gets me in trouble and that's probably why I'm sitting here right now. <laughs> because that, that, that you're not on the road? I'm not on the road as much as I normally am. Like uh, last year, which was just finished, uh, man, I probably did about two months worth of stuff. And I'm being liberal when I say that, like all year. I've been doing a lot of local work. Mm-hmm. Uh, normally it's a guy I do like a good eight months, nine months in a year but uh, last year I, I filled in for Scott Ian's tech Armando uh, when he had a problem getting into the US at one point because of pandemic rules and uh, actually I, I did a run with Papa Roach which oh, nice. I'm not going to be in that one that uh, that you guys are going to be on but I did one with them uh, in September and uh, my buddy Fred caught, well um, there's a tech on, on TSO that tested positive uh, mm. for COVID. So I finished up the uh, last few dates on TSO East. And uh, yeah, that's basically how I ended my 2000, whatever year it was, I don't even know anymore because nothing seems
1: to matter. When's the last like regular gig where you were with the band for a while? Oh, let me think, man. Um,
0: I think that was in 2019 actually, because right in 2020- what, what band?
1: Uh, King Diamond. Okay. Of course. So is that In like King- <laughs> Is King Diamond your like if the King Diamond's going out, is like do you always have that gig? Um, I would like to say yes, but it hasn't always been that way. Yeah. Um at
0: one point, uh, in 2014, they had, uh, well, back in the day, we used to have, uh, one guy that did the two guys on, on stage, right. And the other guy did stage left, which meant you did the guitar player and drums, or you did the guitar player and bass. And in 2014, they had the drum tech, uh, do, uh, guitars. And he works as a guitar tech as well, but I think just to give him a break, because there's a lot that goes on. Uh, they decided that, uh, the one and only Mr. Andy little Rock with gets on tech <laughs> uh, so I've been doing Andy stuff uh since two thousand fifteen I guess, but th- that was like my my entry into doing this stuff anyway, so I try to be available for any time they're on, but they've never used me outside of North America, so gotcha gotcha there's, there's enough Swedish guitar guys to use
1: i can imagine I can imagine so, but so let's I, I want to talk a little bit about kind of like your start in this, in this, this whole business. So are you from Chicago or Indiana?
0: I am from Indiana, Got you. but you know, it, w- what we're considered is the greater Chicagoland area because it's an hour less from downtown, let alone the city. And uh, I'm from an area that they call the region because Indiana is mostly uh, it's always been kind of a red state and, yeah. and more, I guess, as far as they know, agriculture based. And the little corner I'm from is highly industrial and usually is blue. Yeah. So
1: is that where you would know it, but is that where the Jacksons are from? Oh yeah. <laughs> all, um, Bla- all the black black people in Indiana in that one section. <laughs> Chocta city. <laughs> um, so the, the one of the funny things about I would not say it's it's a funny thing, but it's this, I guess ironic and something that that we've talked about Mm -hmm. is that obviously my old band, God forbid being black dudes playing metal and having a perspective of what that is like kind of culturally fish out of water going against the grain of, of what our environments kind of expect of us. And so anyone to me that is in metal or rock and is black kind of has a similar experience, right? We can kind of relate to that, but it's, something with you that's like, you are a, I I don't know, metal purist or like you are, you really, you know, you're very much into the real deal stuff. Like you, you, you're an appreciator of that stuff to a very like, is is that a good way to put it? Uh, Yeah, I I guess so. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that,
0: uh, you know, that's definitely non-metal that I'm highly interested in, Uh, but there's something about, the genre overall and the more extreme acts in it that seems to speak to me for some reason or another so i mean especially there's so many bands now it's not like you know i'm an expert on or a noir or anything like that far from like that but i'm I'm pretty well steeped in you know the the music and its basic subgenres overall i i just feel a connection to it i don't really know why
1: yeah it's
0: just the guitar i guess i don't know
1: how did, how did that, uh, what was your exposure point when you, like how young were you when you discovered rock and metal? Um,
0: my older sister, um, who was, was like uh, 13 years older than me, uh, was like a preteen when the British invasion hit the States. And like, you know, when, when the Beatles appeared on the Ed Sullivan show and all this stuff was going on, uh, that basically changed the whole pop culture yeah. thing in the States like overnight. Uh, and she got swept up in that. So I basically grew up with um, with uh, the Beatles. I, one of my first memories, was, they were on Capitol Records in the States. I think it was, uh, I don't remember, Parlophone or something they were in in, in uh, the UK or Europe, or the, but in the States, they were on Capitol. And at one point, the Capitol uh, uh, albums had a rainbow going around the edge of it. And one of my earliest members is like looking down at a turntable and, and watching the rainbow spin around. And the old records were mono. So you could like turn like to the left channel and you would get like vocals and, you know, maybe some hand claps or something. And then you'd turn to the other way you get this. So I remember she would give me one speaker and like turn it and let me hear the thing and hear what's going on and stuff. And I just got fascinated with that. And uh, so that was my first thing. and I was always drawn to the guitar uh but by the time you know she you know graduated high school and went on to live her life and got jobs and did what she did and I started to get old enough to uh operate the radio without being yelled at for it you know you know little kids they don't want you touching anything so um I always liked stuff like the Beatles and, and just stuff in, in, in general but uh when I got able to mess with the radio there was things like the the live album was out you know as a little kid, you don't go anywhere. You don't to get to experience that kind of thing. But uh, Frampton comes alive. was like the, one of the biggest live albums of all time, and that was yeah. like hot at that point. And that extended guitar solo thing. And do you feel like we do? And you know the excitement of the crowd. And it's like you know what's going on. You can't you can't really watch what's going on, but you, it's a palpable thing. Yeah. And then yeah. Kiss Alive came out, and I had never seen Kiss before, but I heard the sound, and it was something about the energy and and and, and the the immediacy and the urgency of the uh, of the sound of that electric guitar that just spoke to me. So by the time I was in a store looking for comic books and I saw a kiss in a magazine and being a comic book kid and then seeing what they looked like, I was like, I'm all in, you know, I'm all about this. <laughs> and uh, it just seems that over time, my, uh, my, uh, my preference seemed to turn to more aggressive uh, forms of that hard rock stuff. Uh, by the time I was 17, uh, I went away to college and I went to a Big Ten school and there basically you're either into punk rock or you were listening to, you know, whatever was on Friday night videos like Bruce Springsteen and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But there was some kid on campus that must have taken a uh, pity in me or something uh, with my Union Jack t-shirt. <laughs> it was definitely it was hot. And uh, went took me to some guy's place that was off campus and they uh, were watching Pink Floyd Live. Pompeii. And uh, I think there was a a Black Sabbath, uh, a concert film from the Never Say Die tour. And, you know, then I found out about a hardcore, he played me like MDC. I think the first like, like real hardcore, like John Lee was Nazi or something. And so I started kind of getting interested in that. And uh, we had a joint campus and community uh, radio station. But it was weird that the the radio, station had to have cable TV. To get the radio station <laughs> but um they would have things and i would do this like show i, so I started to, like kind of like working at the station as a volunteer and i started doing uh, a three-hour show on saturdays and i had the run of the album library at the uh at the radio station there so i would discover all these these records and you know they would get stuff in so you start finding all these like things for like indie labels and stuff and you know thrash records and older Motorhead records that I hadn't really... I, I was aware of them, but I was broke. You know, I didn't have a lot of money to spend on, on albums. So I started being able to listen to all these records that previously I didn't have any access to because you're not going to go to, like, a public library and find a Motorhead album in there. You know? yeah. You'd go there, you'd, you'd find, like, Alice Cooper or something like that. But uh, none of the underground stuff. So... Uh, were you found- were you playing guitar at this time? Seven, oh, five, yeah. Eight, I started eight. playing guitar around... Uh, I don't know, I guess I was maybe 12...
1: And were, and were your parents like supportive of that no, like helping you not
0: out at all.
1: <laughs> not at
0: all particularly my father was not into it at all he's like you're not gonna be bringing uh you know these guitars and big amplifiers and making my make my house look like a pawn shop were but they religious exactly, was exactly no, was it ever uh, like the
1: the devil's music that was that no, thing nothing like that
0: i mean they, they they got you know through all that stuff with my sister uh you know my sister was doing the thing with the beatles and all that so that you know she kind of like uh got them primed but I hit them with something totally different at to <laughs> the point now I was, I was repulsing my sister by the time I was uh, listening to stuff like exciter and, and stuff like that and in the house, blasting, I am the beast by exciter. is like, you know,
1: the speed metal revolution. Um, yeah. So with that, I mean, did, were you, so we're talking 12 to 17. Were you trying to do like a garage band? Are you finding people to like link up with and kind of doing that whole thing? Like most kids, yeah.
0: There was one kid that I met when I went to junior high school. The only kid in the entire school, they had a KISS t-shirt. So I immediately went and I talked to him. But like nothing really happened for like a year. And then we started trying to do stuff. Kim never never could find, you know, a, a bass player, never could find a drummer. For a while we found a drummer and it was like two guitars and drums trying to play. And the guy's older brother would come in and, you know, like switch all the dials and the amplifier and like, tried to make me play bass lines and guitar and start playing doobie brothers songs and stuff so we like got nowhere it was you know but yeah I still talked to my buddy from junior high school uh, Dan Roke was his name and he he comes into my life in and out for a bunch of different reasons but that's a that's another story. It's kind of his fault that actually I started teching to jump jump ahead. Sure. Um uh, another guy I knew that was in a different local band when I was older uh he knew about guitars so and he played some guitar but he sang in a uh, in a in a different local band. And he would come by my house from, you know, once and again, because he knew I like to like mess with stuff and geek out with things. So he would stop through there and we like mess with delays, whatever. He'd see what I would be into lately. And uh, I don't I don't know how he really started doing it. I think he was working as a stagehand and probably it was like the same crews coming through or the same band coming through with the same crew or some crew guy that will come through with different bands and he'd always be working there or something. I don't really know, but apparently he got a shot touring. So he started touring and he was on Diamond and he wanted to uh, go out with some other band that was gonna be on a Dave Matthews band tour. And it was gonna be a bigger tour, more money, blah, blah, blah. blah. he had to find someone to substitute for him. And he asked my buddy Dan first. Dan worked at at a local music store. And for whatever reason, Dan couldn't do it. And so he told him to ask me, and they knew I knew how to solder and tune and stuff. So I filled in for him, and he went on to uh, do some pop band stuff. And I kind of like started doing the King Diamond stuff and that snowballed. So King Diamond was your first gig?
1: Yeah. That's crazy
0: yeah it, it was pretty it's
1: like uh, <laughs> it's like jumping over a, a bunch of hurdles all at the same one time yeah, i i
0: i definitely you know so yeah the first time i ever did anything on the tour it was a bus thing we were all crammed into one bus but it was a bus yeah uh and it was for the band that was established and had been doing stuff you know for you know basically at that point for the most part a couple of decades or you know a decade and a half of of doing professional stuff so i learned a lot of stuff and you know i learned a lot of what not to do but yeah i learned a lot of stuff real fast because i didn't do the startup thing i got dropped in with a bunch of veterans
1: yeah i mean um, was that kind of did you feel like you knew what you were doing or did it feel like kind of like i'm gonna screw everything up and get well, fired well I
0: mean, they didn't really have uh a really super I mean, technical I mean this was this would have been like spring of 98 so yeah. they didn't have like brass racks and things like that their stuff was relatively simple but the The most tricky thing there was was this they, there was a keyboard set up that uh the bass player at the time Chris Estes uh, played keys and bass and there was this thing they had hooked up where there was a drum machine that was feeding a click to the drummer and that was midi, then was something else. And that was a little bit weird to hook up. But other than that, it was, you know, guitars and bass. I had been playing with, uh, with gear so long at that point and, you know, playing in a couple bands and, you know, my stuff would, would go belly up and I had to figure out what was wrong with my stuff. So I kind of came in with at least a general idea of how to figure out why something wasn't working because I always found up in situations where my stuff wouldn't work. Uh, so it wasn't that really that big of a deal uh, to me. Um, it should have been, but for some reason or another, I was kind of like, oh, okay, you know. You just
1: adapted to it. Well it's, yeah, it was- well, it's interesting because I guess when I was coming up or just started to do shows with professional bands or get some tours, like I had no concept of all the stuff that a band a professional band would have to make everything work and then you you see it because you because when you start obviously you're just doing everything yourself right you're loading your gear you're setting everything up and so when you start to see it and you go oh okay this is how this works and there's this kind of diffusion of responsibility and allocating okay this person does this and this person does does that and you see it and you go okay this is there's this whole other <laughs> world hierarchy of uh who does what yeah well yeah but it's, that's the thing is is like I mean, I remember when we first were, were able to hire a texter and get some help. You almost actually like, What is their job? Because you're so used to doing everything yourself. You go, <laughs> "What am they? Am I supposed to tune my guitar? Am I supposed to line check?" Like, don't you remember when you, you toured with us on like Ozfest and you were trying to like line check three guys and like five. It just didn't work, you know. <laughs> uh, it's, it's it yeah. So so it's it's this this thing of. Um, the fact that you kind of took to it uh, pretty quickly, you know, I think it, it says a lot about your personality. Because I think, it, I think ultimately, anything you're doing in that capacity, it's all about just being of service to the show and the per- and making sure everyone's. It's like, hey, are you good, right? If I'm taking care of these one or two people, like, are they good, you mm-hmm. know? I think, and that's so it's like just being. It's almost like your job is just being mm-hmm. considerate of that. And then, and, 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 you know, having that and having that relationship, um, when, so do you think there's like a mentality that makes someone take to that or, or at least just referring to you? Like, Oh, like, cause I feel like some people just, I don't know, like they, they probably wouldn't be a good, good tech. Like they wouldn't get, I've seen but, a ton of people that aren't good techs, but yeah. Uh, but what do you, what do you um, think that, that, that mentality is or kind of approach?
0: You know, I don't know. I, I think that um, there's definitely a, a, a sort of disconnect that that I think you have to have to a certain extent, you know? Um, well, what do you mean by that disconnect? Um, you know, there's some people who who like to have a life. And <laughs> from, what <I'm, laughs> from, from what I've been able to, to tell, at least it me, it's like uh, there's you know how it is. It's like in this industry, you know, even at like the lower levels, usually there's a considerable amount of money that goes into putting on a successful show, let alone a successful tour. And you have to be aware of not only on this side, is there, you know, a lot of stuff going on you know, maybe even let's go in the financial aspect. But on the other side as well, since, you know, for so many years, I've been a patron, you know, and a fan of certain things. There's people who work an everyday job or something like that. And 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 going out is not cheap these days. And there's people who are coming and they're expecting to see a show and they're spending the hard money. And you're kind of like the go between. It's like it, things aren't going to go right if you're not doing your job, if you're not focused on your job. So that, uh, an artist like you can just concentrate on the performance and stuff that's going on and just make stuff go so that the people who are paying to make sure that all of this can happen. Because if it, if no one's coming to the show, if no one's buying stuff, you don't have a tour. You don't really have a show. You're not going to be able to tour if no one's coming to these gigs. Yeah. So a lot of times, a lot of other stuff that you're doing becomes secondary because your your position now is whatever thing it is you've been brought on or hired to to do, you have to make sure that it's going to happen the way it's supposed to happen. Uh, and so all the other stuff that you're doing kind of comes second to that. It's like the the job kind of becomes the uh, primary thing in your life. I, I've, I've always said, you know, and no disrespect to anyone, you know, in the armed services, but a lot of times I said that um, being on the road is a lot like being in the military for slackers. You know, there's there's a lot of similarities. Like in the military, you know, you, you've got uh, a communications experts, maybe you got a reconnaissance guy, you got a medic, you know, you've got all these these various things, but everybody's a team. Yeah. And if there's something actually happen, happening, you know, say in in a, in a battle scenario or something like that, and then somebody isn't doing their job or they're dragging, they're going drag, to drag everyone else down. And in that case, you know, that's a life-threatening thing or, or, you know, a potentially lethal thing that can go on. And you can't have that. When you're touring, you know how it is. You got guys there, you know on drugs, you got alcoholics, you got guys that are just plain old crazy. You've got somebody that thinks that this is their big chance where like they're going to make it in the music industry and they're they're you know they're gonna like push their band or they're gonna get discovered, you know, or something and their priorities are on something else other than having a successful show done and they're on your team and it's just like anything else. So whether it's you know if you're doing backline, if you're the lighting guy, if you're the tour manager, if you start falling down on your job, you're going to drag everybody else down with you. You can't have a successful tour or a good show if you've got, you know, some guy who didn't show up because he went on a bender or, you know, uh, another guy's in the, in the back lounge zonked out of his mind because he was doing lines of coke off an amplifier at the sound check and, you know, or whatever's going on. Uh, and it's the same thing. It's like you can you know, you can be a slob, you you can be a, a screw up, you know, have various substance abuse problems and stuff, and somehow still, a lot of times, to a certain degree, for a little while, work in this industry. But if you fail, you're taking everybody down with you. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people can't, you know, they, they can't do that disconnect, whereas like all that other stuff that that's involved with you, uh, in your life, whatever, it's, it's secondary to making sure that this, gig happens you know what you know whether you like somebody's sick or there's a problem at home or whatever's going on your dog died uh d- d- your girl decides that you know this isn't the life for her she's going to break up with you show's got to there's three thousand people coming in the pdc is showing the show's got to happen and stuff's got to work and this has got to be on time this has got to look right and this is got to be where it's supposed to be and you know you, you got to do your thing and a lot of people can't do that disconnect from it they can't you know separate their personal life from what needs to happen to keep this machine rolling yeah and uh i don't know i guess either either i've i've got more of an ability to disconnect or something i don't know what it is but uh it's a focus Um, it it hasn't really worked out to my advantage in in a lot of ways uh you know but it's just it is what it is
1: well but you're also in the i guess in many cases unenviable position of having to kind of deal with a lot of egos prima donnas uh <laughs> let me tell you something you got that part right <laughs> what what is that you know how how have you kind of is there a methodology to deal with that the personality aspect or maybe someone you know treating you like you know because you know there could be that line cross of disrespect mm-hmm. right um of like oh you're you work for me kind of thing is that is that how, how you kind of dealt, dealt with that through, through your career? It, has, it, has it happened a lot or is it usually the rarity? Um, it, it's
0: kind of rare. I mean, certain degrees of it pop up, you know, over time. Some people have been more extreme with it than others. Um, I, I caught a little flack once because somebody uh, did an interview. And as to how I managed to stay on a particular gig as long as I did, <laughs> and you know, hopefully, hopefully they just roll their eyes and ignore it. I don't know they might be holding a grudge and waiting. But uh, I made some comment about uh, uh, I've been dealing with crazy a long time. Like you know, I have to deal with my family all the time, and I don't get paid to hang out with them. So you know there's some people that are like have they got issues or whatever it is but it's like it doesn't really phase me because i've had to deal with people with attitudes or whatever's wrong with them there's definitely something wrong with them um but you know i've had to deal with that for a while just in existence so just because this person got a microphone in their hand or a guitar around their neck it doesn't make any difference to me you know it's yeah. like i had to deal with it for free i could i can deal with it if they're paying me but there comes a, bacon, a breaking point, and yeah, I, I have made some people cry.
1: <laughs>
0: you made you an artist. It. I know it. You know. You made an not artist. I'm not talking about you, Doc. But
1: you would you never know. make me cry. You've given me nothing but uh, friendship and joy over the years. So you, you
0: got you got longer reach me and height advantage, So
1: Yeah, but I'm a man of peace. <laughs> man. <laughs> I wouldn't, hey, I'm a like Rodney did. I'm a lover, not a fighter. That's right. I wouldn't. I wouldn't know what do What to do in a fight? Um, no, I mean, listen. That it's obviously there's many things we will not <laughs> publicly disclose in something like this that we, me, and you and I would discuss privately um, about particular bands or particular situations because obviously we're not the type to air our dirty laundry. <laughs> um, <laughs> Unless, unless, like you said unfiltered. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, hold me back, hold me back. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but actually, so it's actually fascinating knowing this knowing this timeline now, because we met in 2001 on the, you were working for, you were doing double duty with Nevermore and Opeth. Opeth yeah, caught hell on that one, man, Jesus yeah. <laughs> a lot of a lot of things going on. Actually, was that were they all on the same bus or they have separate buses mm-hmm. all one on one bus. bus? Damn. uh So, but it's fascinating now knowing that you didn't start till '98, and that's like only a few years later. I I just presumed you were like some, you know, twenty year veteran or or or, or something. You just seemed so.
0: I was I was just some dude. Who had a like a day job like everyone else, and I I spent way too much time and money. Well, maybe not. You know, like I don't I don't regret it to a certain extent. Uh, just playing like in, in local bands and stuff. But you know I've been I've been fascinated with the guitar. Prob- I'm going to estimate probably at least since I was three years old. Yeah, I have distinct memories of doing things like going up like an escalator near near Christmas time with my mom. And you know, at a department store, you're looking over and you have that those those cheap, you know, they give you like like Montgomery Wards, JC and Sears and they sell those electric guitars for the kids and stuff. I remember going up and looking at one and telling mom, I want that. Probably because I'd seen the Beatles, you know, watching the Beatles stuff with my sister or, and uh there were some teenagers that lived next door to me uh when I was really young. And I remember we moved from that house when I was about four or five. And I remember uh one of the the kids had a, a friend that got a guitar. And they must have been like 16. I was probably four at the time. And the guy brought the guitar over. My mom had to stop me because I thought I was going to be able to go over and talk this kid into letting me check his guitar out. You know, looking looking back now, it seems real ludicrous. But in my head at the time at four, it was a totally reasonable thing, you know, for some... yeah, so I'd been after guitars for a while. So I I have the toy stuff and and everything. And I finally got one from my sister uh, because I tried to make a guitar from uh, a Hot Wheel racing track and a Valentine candy box. (laughs) (laughs) I I saw Kiss on the Paul Lynn Halloween uh, special. I think maybe Paul Stanley had a flying V. And the only thing I could find around the house that was vaguely V-shaped was like the the heart-shaped candy box. So I had that point of that, and I put the the the, the racing track thing on the neck and some thread, and to make the notes change, I would just bend the racing track neck to get the strings to go tighter for the high notes. So when they saw me doing that, they're like, "Okay, enough's enough," and you know. But my father was totally against it, but you know, was he gonna? <laughs> and and are you, Dad? <laughs> what house looks exactly like a pawn shop right now? Go <laughs> so
1: ahead. because you had so much gear when you were young. Um,
0: no, I no. Um, then I didn't have anything because uh, you know he didn't allow it. Yeah. Um uh, plus we were broke anyway. Yeah. Uh, but uh, now I'm drowning. I'm drowning in, in stuff either because most okay, basically it's because I'm an idiot. But uh, <laughs> you... uh, I still have daddy issues, and I and I, I'm doing all the stuff that they never let me do when I was younger. So I'm like getting back at it. So oh. I think that's. What if, what if I have? Oh, I not have What if I have forty guitars? What are you going to do if I have forty guitars? <laughs> do you have that many? Probably. Probably, but with, all the, with... Them, almost all of them in various shapes of of, of disrepair. So
1: you because... like you? Do you buy stuff that's already like kind of yeah. taken apart, or you just kind of you just deconstruct and reconstruct?
0: I'm kind of the crazy cat lady of guitars. Yeah. Um, I, I almost never meet one that I don't like or one that uh, I don't need to have for some reason or another. Do uh, you play it or is it just like no, a thing to no, be I I, I have, I have um, uh, delusions of grandeur and these, these, these expectations that I can't live up to. So I get something with the intention of putting it into use. And then I'm like, oh, there's a squirrel. But the squirrel is usually another guitar. Um, So, you know, one thing leads to something. I I get something, and I'm like, that's a fantastic bargain. It's only got this wrong with it. I can fix that right away. And I get it, and then, you know, I wind up, you know, fixing something for someone else, and then I start, like, working. And I was like, you know, I never did get to that guitar. Wow, here's another bargain. Let me get that, you know. So it it, it, things snowball, and then you wind up with an army full of crap that needs something done to it and, and no time to do it. And uh, I'm trying to change that. One of of the things I told myself last year is I need to start playing more this year. And I, you know, I don't, you know, I don't care if I'm just playing, you know, Ramon songs or something like that. I just, I just still like the sound of an A chord going through an amplifier. It's like, I don't really care. You know, I'm never going to be a shredder. I'm never going to be, you know, a McCartney or anything like that. I just want to make noise. So, you know, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, so that's my plan for 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 2022.
1: Well, the pa- uh, the pandemic at home, being stuck at home, that that wasn't an excuse enough to play.
0: No, because uh I wound up spending the bulk of my pandemic doing stuff that had absolutely, really, nothing to do with me. Okay. So yeah, that you know, that that you know, I got nobody to blame but myself for that, but. I did pick up a couple of things,
1: though,
0: so. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> so, you know, I, I, it's like, I, I feel like, you know, you ever hear about these people that, like, uh, they got the zombie proof uh, compound and yeah, man, three months the prepper, worth the three years of fresh water? Yeah. I, I'm like, I'm musically prepping.
1: Because in, in, the, in the apocalypse, we're going to need rock. We're gonna need some like that guy in the Mad Max, the guy on on that big like uh, <laughs> you know the, that big harness, those, yeah. shooting flames out of it. You'll be that'll be you in in the in the apocalypse.
0: I feel like I'm just like name dropping these here. There, but uh, that pedal company uh, KHDK, yeah, they got uh, a Scott Ian pedal out. Have you seen it? No, I, I want I gotta get this thing so bad. I think they only got like twenty of them left. I gotta get one of them. All right, uh, but. Uh, it like it will give you like that early Anthrax, like, SOD guitar sound. Is I think basically what they did was clone um, the TC Electronics. The TC Electronics, what's known in the first album as the uh, the Death Box or something like that they yeah. called it. It's a Tex- TC Electronics a torsion line driver. Yeah, I, ha- I, I I got one.
1: A new one or a vintage one? Vintage. Yeah, I got a I got a guy in uh, South Carolina. Um, great. This dude. interview is over. No. <laughs> and um. Yeah, he 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 basically resells um pedals. He has a whole like little little business. And he he reached out to me. He's oh, oh take a look at my site, see if there's anything you want. And uh that was he had he had one. I was like, I gotta get one. Cause I discovered that through Meshuga, because that's what they used. Really? Uh, yeah, like on the on the early records on like I didn't know that. Yeah, but they but they mentioned that, oh yeah, this is what we use, but we use it because anthrax uses it. You know.
0: Well, that crunches. or well, they got this thing out. And the graphics is an old school, like, painting of Scott with the uh, Bermuda shorts and the Jackson, like, uh, uh, three-quarter size Radio Z. Like, and there's a laser coming out of the guitar, like, cutting zombies' heads off and stuff. And Scott's, like, jumping off, like, a pile of, like, skulls or something like that. that. That alone is reason enough to get it but the exactly. thing actually sounds damn good so yeah that'll be me like pretending like you know
1: i'll I'll be out there for like 15 minutes you know with a guitar like did you, right did, you head. did you get the um steel panther guitar pedal that no the, the, i, I the, was going pussy, to get that was it pussy, pussy melter, pussy melter. Yeah. <laughs> i was going to get that but i missed i missed the boat on that one, but, <laughs> i'm sure that flew off the shelves <laughs> it did
0: from, from what I can tell. They they um they i think uh so twice as many of those as they expected they had to uh go back and i guess uh, uh and and increase production but yeah they, those things apparently flew off the shelves
1: They controversy right it moves on well,
0: you know that and apparently it didn't sound that bad either so you know. well, well he is
1: he is a badass who oh, uh satchel yeah russ <laughs> is his real name but no, he, I is, know. he I was I a, met him back in 98 he was a he, he was with fight or well, fight probably wasn't active by then, right?
0: No, fight was not active. He was um um, that was like one of the second things I did. Uh, do you know what happened in Harry? you know Mark Harrison? Mark Harrison. I'm not I'm not sure. This a guy from Chicago lives in l a now he used to do a lot of uh, uh, jams, like especially like in North Hollywood or when Cat Club was going, he said like hosting me at cat club all the time, and these guys would get together. he's he's got a a, a phenomenal singing voice. Yeah. kid the kid's got pipes um but uh he would get together and have these jam nights and you never knew who was going to show up billy sheen used to show up at like a lot of them and they'd uh they'd do the stuff and he organized this run basically through the midwest for about two weeks and he got a bunch of his buddies uh uh from la to a uh, uh, jeff pilsen that's in uh foreigner now that most people know from doc and he was he was there for a bit and they had. Uh, uh, Greg D'Angelo, who was known as the drummer from White Lion, uh, he played and Russ played, but Russ also had a three-piece band that was called the Ducks that was great. They were the only way I could really describe them is like almost like they were a cross between Weezer and the Foo Fighters. Oh wow. they were three-piece and they they were great. Um, I was always laughing he had this this uh, song about Mr. T and how much he liked Mr. T when he was a little kid or something, I guess. <laughs> But it's a real super super catchy song. I mean, they, that was in like 1998. And I can still remember the song. Um, but he was, and at one point he said, "You know, you could probably get a job doing this." And I, before that, ten years I'd worked in uh, in printing, graphic, advertising, high res di- digital image res, uh, manipulation stuff. You know, I did that for ten years, and uh, I wanted to be getting laid off from that job. And I was looking for another full time job, and I wasn't really having a whole lot of luck. And uh, uh, Russ said, "You know, you could probably get a job doing this kind of stuff." So, so then I started trying to get like backline jobs. Of course, when I went looking for the stuff, I couldn't get sneezed at, and you know, it it, it took you know a couple of years before I started to uh, really get to do anything. But uh, up until that point, I was kind of like the person. That people called when something went wrong, if somebody had to leave, if somebody got sick, if somebody needed to be replaced like that. You know, who can we get? I was hey, that guy.
1: Hey, the fill, the fill. I've made some good bones being the uh, the fill in guy, so I, I I totally get that. Speaking of fill ins, so you know this, but a lot of people, listeners probably don't know this. Willie also filled in for God forbid on bass guitar, and it was it was this tour we did. This really kind of weird tour that was like whatever (laughs) but it was great bands but a lot of people didn't show up but it was god forbid actually the sworn enemy Enemy, enemy, god forbid shadows
0: fall event sevenfold and
1: yes but that was only for for one show where it was all five because uh the sworn enemy came in for the eerie show Mm -hmm. and then shadows fall headlined like four three or four shows and but the the main tour was us bleeding through event sevenfold. Mm-hmm. but so yeah but that I remember it was I remember you did play the I think you played based on two shows like, uh, was there was
0: there was um I think Will uh played uh the one at
1: the creepy crawl yeah so okay and- so so I got to explain this to some so my best friend Will Will Karakowski we have Will! yeah his so he, he's white right Will's white but his nickname is original black because he is you know has the soul of a black man and Willie, <laughs> Willie G is black, but s- seems to have taken the soul of white man. So we kind of, the joke is that they're like, it's like separated at birth or like, it's like one of those, those uh, body switching movies that we had the Willie G will original black and they're embodying kind of the same shared soul in some reverse multiverse thing. And it's just incredible because both your names are William. And it's just works. Do like a
0: Wonder Twin thing and it's like merging into <laughs> this one weird
1: being. Uh, but no, so so th- those shows, it was the only, I guess we technically can't call it the all-black, God forbid, lineup because between me and my brother is still one white dude. Because <laughs> we're mixed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so um, somehow,
0: it's somehow, says I black. Know, you guys seem like you turned out to be like, you're, you're more like a 60
1: 40 mix or something 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 ain't quite <laughs> in which way i got 60 black or 60 white <laughs> oh man well Whichever way it works.
0: If, if, if anybody been around where you guys were having it, it some of your, your arguments, you oh. would know the percentage I'm talking about.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. Listen, man. I still remember
0: that uh, time where it was like, was it? He was supposed to take over driving, but you were on the wheel, and then we put over. It's like, I'm going to drive it. I'm fine. I'm not going to drive you. So we pull over. We sit there for a while. Everybody just sitting there in silence. <laughs> Half an hour, 40 minutes like that. You just make this noise and throw it back and drive and start i don't even remember
1: that (laughs) all the all those little nuggets get uh get 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 lost in the shuffle but but i i wonder i probably no one has there's no video footage of you playing with us right i think
0: any to my knowledge nobody filmed any of it and i don't think anybody like or any of the bands or crews took any anything yeah there was I'm no sure crews. Like somebody in the crowd happened to have a, yeah. a like, something
1: going it's lost to the ages it's lost but i remember like we were playing this uh, it was like a kind of small stage and you would just hang by the bass rig and just kind of riff like right kind of by the drums. And I was like, but I would like go over and I'd like want to rock out with you. But you were really like, like,
2: ah!
1: like, yeah. Like, okay. And you were just concentrating. Like, listen, Doc, get on my face. I'm trying to, I'm trying to hold it okay. down. Here was a problem. <laughs> um, you guys
0: sent me, uh, like some, some demo tracks of new stuff you're working on. Yeah. one yeah. one to be stuff from, um, Gone Forever. Yeah. And the only bass I had to use was, uh, this, uh, Ibanez fretless four string. Whoa, fretless. My my my, yeah, this was a bass my roommate had. Uh, He had like an Ex Series Ibanez uh, fretless thing. So I'm trying to you know get it going on that. And then I contacted ESP, and said, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do these shows. Um, Can I get a bass from from you guys? Like even if you got something that's you know like a factory second or a loaner thing or something. Worked out. So I worked out. Then they sent me a long scale five string bass. And then when I got together with you guys, you told me that some of the stuff you had changed the keys on. So literally, like I went to like a Kmart and I had the thing and I bought like a boom box. So as we were driving, I could listen to the songs and reacclimate myself and try to figure out how I'm gonna play it. I screwed you up. On this five-string bass, when I learned it on a four-string bass, and then you guys changed the tuning. So I got totally, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm trying to play like some of the riffing and And, you know, and and hats off to to Beaker and that, Mr. Outcult. Yes. uh, Because there's some, the the bass playing on that stuff, I think, is a lot more intricate than than a lot of people would uh, uh, take, you know. There's a lot more going on than you would think. Kind of like now when you listen to uh, these uh, uh, soloed out, uh, like, bass stems from, like, some of the Metallica recordings, especially stuff that Nustay was on. You hear actually what's happening.
2: kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply hey this is chris swinney formerly of the ataris and currently host of that one time on tour part of the sound talent media podcast network Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and, in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? (laughs) Ha! How's that going? Do you get twenty twenty? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called Twenty Twenty, where myself Benny Goodman and my good friends Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got twenty twenty. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at nine PM Eastern, and you can listen at two zero two zero. Zero-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.
1: Yeah, he's, I mean, to me, like, John is, he's like right in between Cliff and Newstead. He, cause he plays with a pick, but he has like, you know, he has a lot of Cliff in him, but he's very precise uh, and knows how to play musically within what's, what's going on. It's, it's a lost art because I feel like so many, New bands, metal bands especially, they just the bass is just really there to be a sub frequency, and it's not as much about bass playing, it's more just about filling out the sound and having another guy to headbang.
0: <laughs> yeah, with your weak ass headbanging, get rid of those A string guitars and let the bass player have some of that room down there. What are you guys gonna like, sort of smack you? <laughs> oh man but but no I'll i mean get a kemper and put the 5150 profile on it sounds sick bro i'll punch you right in the face
1: i love it i love it i want to see that actually i would i would if i knew that was happening in advance i would definitely try and get like so a hidden hidden camera and someone get
0: Oh no just bring out the film crew man let's make this you know
1: i have a kemper you know don't beat me up
0: well no i'm not i'm not against the whole kemper thing but um <sighs> I always feel like I, that I I'm repeating myself almost verbatim, but uh, you know maybe sometimes I feel like I'm got one foot on the autism spectrum anyway half the time, so uh, there it goes. But um, there's this thing that I always say that uh, live music, and since we're talking about that, rock music, and more specifically heavy rock music, but music in general, especially rock music, is sort of a visceral experience, and the heavier stuff has a lot of physicality to it. And I understand the times have changed and the economics of the stuff like that dictates that you have to do these things a lot of times, but I'm totally against the whole going direct and no live backline thing. I mean, for some forms of music, that just works. I understand the whole deal, but I'm like, you know, back in the day, like when I was a kid, before I was old enough to really be able to get in the bars, I was playing with some older guys and I was playing bars, and you go into some like little bars where that you know if you grease them up and put them in sideways maybe you can get 200 people in the joint or something like that and the guitar player's got a full marshal stack you know and and it was it was dealt with and now you get these people walking around with with an ipad and and i had one guy tell me that uh two cabinets and a 50 watt head was too much and we were in hockey arenas because it's like these days these guys can't mix they can't mix period y'all can't make period they can't mix
1: with bleed uh, with any bleed
0: they can't, well they can't they can't do anything unless they have the Control. environment the way that they need it to be yeah. this guy had like a double wide rack of uh, processing stuff and then he had two computers with plugins he had all this stuff and he couldn't mix the show unless he had everything the way he needed it to be or you know he was lost and i'm against i'm against that I, i'll go back on youtube and i'm looking at you know some old video footage from some band playing somewhere in like 1979 1981 and they got a wall of shit you know and maybe everything wasn't on but you know you can tell that the stuff was loud and me thing it's like if you can't feel it you can't feel it and no one in the crowd is going to feel it either there needs to be some stuff pushing the air out of the way, making a connection with the person. And that's, you know, that to me, that's what rock music is about. It's a very yeah. physical event and you're not getting that with some digital crap going direct. Well. Now I understand that sometimes it does sound good and it works out, but,
1: but it's just, man,
0: I need my pants to be
1: like, moving. Sorry. Well, I'll, I'll Sorry. say this. I think it really matters the size of the venue. So I remember seeing like one of the first bands, metal bands, I saw do this was where where they go all ears and no cabinets was Trivium. So this is around like 2010 ish, and I saw them at Starland with Asking Alexandria, and it was that thing of like being close up, and you feel like you weren't feeling the impact of of the guitars. And I was like, man, I don't, I don't really know about that. But then I saw them, you know, maybe six months later at uh, at an amphitheater when they're on tour with corn and uh and it sounded great it sounded amazing so it's all about to me when you're doing a smaller if you're doing clubs where you really you're gonna feel that that cabinet like in your face but if you're if the crowd's far away I feel like it really doesn't matter once you're doing venues of a certain size it doesn't matter but when you're in a club or a theater I think it does matter but you know and I you know and it's 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 interesting, you know, like I remember I was at a show, it was Trivium Arch Enemy and um, Fit for an Autopsy and Fit for an Autopsy was the only band running amps like full amps and they definitely had the best sound, you know? So I, I definitely agree, but I think it's, it's this trade-off between efficiency, ease, you know, ease of use, even like someone even brought this up. It was like, they're like, you have less weight in a trailer you're spending less money on gas, <laughs> like even there's, to like there's
0: an the economic thing that definitely is a is a is a deciding factor in what you're gonna do. I totally understand that.
1: Yeah, or even but, just like the just the sweat labor of physically moving that shit around. Like I almost like think about
0: for your art.
1: <laughs> Listen, my back <laughs> has suffered quite a bit. My back surgery a year ago says the dude. I remember we we're on tour the second time my back ever went out. Um, actually the, the first two times I back went out was on a stage. One time a Byron ran into me, went to a children of Bodum in 2006 in Kansas. And a, my body twisted, heard a pop done. It's first time I back it went out. Then a year later, two years later, I was lifting. Remember those, those Randall heads with the modules and they were, they were heavy, they, you know, they were heavy heads and we were playing at, um, Peabody's in Cleveland with death angel. And I do, same thing, twisting motion, move the amp, done, done. So, you know, I've paid the price of lifting yeah, all that gear.
0: Back, the back issue, definitely, I know how that is, because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm at that age. I'm feeling, every time, like my, my other famous thing, it's like every time I move, it's like a greedy fat kid trying to open a bag of fiddle faddle. It's here, crackling and <laughs> popping and. But yeah, the Trivium guys. I remember uh, they were all gloating about their uh, their direct stuff. And one point, he come over and looks at the the rack and he's like, "Oh, amplifiers, yeah." He's like, "Remember those? We gave all of ours to
1: the Smithsonian." I told them, "You little punks will be back." They are back, or at yeah, least exactly. uh, Cor- 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 Corey's back. He's back to using the old fifty-one fifties, or the EV, or it's no, they're, no, they're using the EVHs now. I think, mm-hmm. which I love. That's those amps I, I use, and I I, I love them. They're great amps. I was looking
0: at a uh, YouTube uh, thing where these guys are talking about how it seems like every series has more and more gain. And those are the point where it's like the, the third channel is damn near unusable
1: because they can't tame. <laughs> they can't, yeah. Can't dude, about to get this guy. I got my 100 watt um, modded by this guy Jens Cruz in uh, in L.A. Hey, Cruz with a K? Yeah. And uh, and it's great, but it's there's too much gain. Like, I, it's almost like my gain will be like on two and it's still a little too saturated and um and yeah it's i've always it's, said you're, you almost, you're gonna plug like a
0: 1957 fender dual sonic into it with a three and a half k output single coil pickups and you got no gain whatsoever three,
1: dude it's yeah it's a it's it's a little much, but I'm, and I've always had that relationship with mother. I know this is like the, the guitar nerd stuff. So if you're still here for this, thank you. I know sometimes people like the. They the, turned this
0: up right when they saw this case.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, man, this, this, trust me, the people, I know the people in the show and they're going to, they're going to appreciate this, but no, with like the, just the, the tech talk, it's kind of funny, but I've always had this thing with gain of like, when we first started out, God forbid, we had a really like high mid range, very mm-hmm. clean. Cause we really wanted to hear like the picking, you know, and we kind of added more game through the years, but it's still something I think about in terms of not being that you, you have too much gain, you lose clarity, you lose uh, punchiness, you know, it gets a little yeah. too. The
0: transients don't get through. Uh, you got less dynamics. Yeah. The whole thing about it, you know, it makes it easier to play a lot of stuff, but you can't, you know, there's no distinction in what yeah. you're doing. All the nuances just get, you know?
1: Yeah. So that's, that's the school I come from. So, you know,
0: <laughs> if you guys haven't listened i don't know who my this, this is your podcast of course they know it's like they need to go back and revisit some of those older recorders and you're like that it's like yeah this it's a very the, the guitar is is right here it's all up in your business because that because
1: <laughs> well, we used to use those um like when we first met you we had those line, line six, six heads which which was funny actually it was funny about that tour because jess's aunt broke so he was using my head for the whole tour you remember that those Line 6 amps and my
0: Carvin saved that tour because everything was breaking, <laughs> everything had, was breaking. You had a carving amp ahead? X100B, I still got it, it first, my first big boy amp. Wow. Um, when I was a teenager, I had a, a summer job and there was some other kid who had to pay his dad back for the, the Marshall, that he like got money from his father and bought a Marshall stack and he sold me his Fender Twin Reverb. So my first real amp was a Fender Twin you still and have that? I no, I don't. There's another dude I know who needed an amplifier. He was a younger guy, and uh, I'm basically I'm I'm a wannabe art school dropout. I went I went to school and I was studying art, and I still liked to draw stuff, which is something else that I thought I was going to. That's another story. I was I was that's one of my things I was uh, intending to get involved with again during the pandemic, but I was so busy involving myself with other people's crap that I didn't do it. Um, but I traded, basically, I traded the amp for a set of uh, Koineur, uh technical drawing pens because I knew he needed an amp and he had the pen. So I just, I gave him the amp and he gave me the pens. And I still have the pens at least, but uh, sometimes I wish I still had that amp. It was it was a 70s silver face uh, uh, twin. It wasn't anything real special about it, but, you know, it was like the, the first real piece of gear I bought with money that I worked and earned, you know, with that. So I kind of wish I had it, but at the time... I wasn't really in to the acquisition. I was I was living at home and I only had so much space. And then there's this amp. I was that time I was full on thrashing and the twin didn't didn't fit into the picture. No. So you know, kid needed an amp, and uh I created him the amps for the pins and I had my carving. And I figured that, you know, I re- I remember I gave away I had a, a uh, an old MXR distortion plus. And when I got my first half stack, it's like I'll never need a distortion pedal again. How wrong he was! <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, I gave that that away with that, and I had this carbon X100B that my other sister funded me uh, money to get. And uh, but I got that I got the uh, the fender with my real my first job, and I got the carbon with my first full time like adult job. And I still have it. Actually, need to get a little work done on it because I ain't the amp guy. Uh, I so like it. thing that's that they've had a beautiful clean tone. That's probably the the
1: best tube amp clean tone. Uh, so who, who was using the Carvin on the tour? Um, they were actually they were
0: fighting over it, but uh, uh <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Michael Ackerfeld was was using it, and he was gotcha. running his his boss his boss processor. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, yeah, it was um, it's funny because like anytime I. See like video from that era when we were using the Line Sixes. It always sounds great. The guitar mm-hmm. like those, and I'm I sold that amp, and it's probably one of the few things I regret selling because it it was also the the tr- the key to the guitar tone on "Constitutional Treason." So when we, we were doing mixing the record, I didn't did, know that we did. Well, the main tone is a fifty-one fifty-two, mm-hmm. and then when Eric uh, was mixing it. He like we we weren't really cracking the code with the tone, and he just was trying shit out. And like we had that amp there, and he used that on the reamp, and it's just like a layer, you know. It's just it's just there in the mix, and it, that so all the the kind of where you hear the real clarity of the picking, it comes from that that amp. So I, I have to reacquire one of those at, at at some point because it's just you know it's like certain pieces of gear like they just sound like that, and nothing yeah, else sounds exactly. like that. You know, and that's,
0: and that's the thing with those heads. There was the thing I think uh, Sean Glass used to say that too. The the first flex tone head, that was the one that had the crunch. You know, that was yeah. the beat. And then they had the the, the flex tone two. Yeah. And it had good cleans, but for whatever reason, the high gain stuff wasn't as good as with the original one. Yeah. So everyone went and tried to find the original ones. So yeah, I like the, the I
1: thought the one the clean tone was cool. Yeah, but apparently in the two it was better. Okay. Well, there, there you go. But one, there, I have a few items I need to reacquire. I need to acquire that amp and also the Mustang DV eight that I had. Even though, remember, like you were working on my on my guitar and we could never figure out that that high, like that. Woo, those it was like wheeling. Yeah. Foam underneath the up and all that. We couldn't figure it out. It never. It was like, and that guitar was great. It was, it was probably the best ESP I ever had. Most like stayed in tune. It was to the a best. silver one, right? Yeah play, you know, just play great. Um, but I'm actually know a guy who has it and I'm, I'm, but we'll try and we'll try and reacquire it. But, uh, one thing I want was really important that I I talked to you about is just, like I said, this is the, the the reason why we all love you, uh, (laughs) is, you know, you, I don't know if it's a kind of like, uh, was, was that, that kid in, in Charlie Brown with like the, the rain cloud. Over his head. <laughs> oh no! That
0: then, Charlie Brown. That was that. You think about uh, the guy Pigpen with the dust. Yeah, or his duster. <laughs> yeah.
1: But let, let's think about the the kind of um, metaphorical idea of the rain cloud that you know. You would always we'd be on like Ozfest or something. You know, uh, Willie did Ozfest with, with God forbid, and you know we'd be all done with work day and you know it was just a normal day, have fun, and but we'll, you'd have this story about catering <laughs> like because you needed this burger yeah, just... and, then, and so but it's this thing of like are you either doomed by bad luck or do you have a way of perceiving the world that just seems that way yes, <laughs> yes Or no. but it's it's what i so i put in my notes this idea but all i put was crap <laughs> yeah pretty much
0: you know yeah, it's, it's,
1: explain that to the people though this this uh affliction you are you are burdened with
0: i don't know it's like my uh i heard people say that things like uh uh what do they call it um self-fulfilling prophecies and
1: you're manifesting your own
0: manifesting you know the 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 uh uh the the negative vibes that i'm putting out and you yep. know like all my all my my buzzards coming home to roost nice and everything but i don't you know i don't believe in none of that new age hippie crap so
1: i just you don't say, you don't you just you just think you're like yo the universe yeah, god has it out
0: <laughs> yeah i feel like that you know maybe there's like another dimension and there's something like the truman show and i'm truman and somewhere there's some people like having a good
1: laugh so give, give us an example of something recent that that would kind of show evidence of, of this. you have any anything I don't know. You can... lately
0: I've been trying to like shun mankind, and that's why I have no problem with uh, with uh, uh, like the isolation and and uh, the pandemic um, stay at home like that because half the time it's like, I don't want to see anybody anyway. you know people <laughs> I can't, that I do want to see I can't get to. so
1: by the way, uh, here's my favorite kind of religious post. This is why the classic is the don't, don't hit me up. Don't, call, don't hit me up for guest list. Don't call me like, um, just leave me alone. post
0: Yeah. But it's like, you know, there's some people, you know, I don't want to call people out by name a lot of times, but cause there's so many people to do it. And it, apparently I, I think I made a post once that says, I am not the portal. To all which you desire, <laughs> because there's a lot, and I mean, like Jackie Gleason, there's a whole lot. There's a lot of people who act like I'm, you know.
1: Maybe you are the portal to all I desire.
0: <laughs> well, you know, me and me, Doc. I'm saying, but, but like at one point, like there's there's someone. I was I was out with with the uh, Lamb of God, and we were in Europe for two months, and there was someone I. I knew who knew somebody in Slayer, and had their phone number and wanted to go to the show, but well, was too embarrassed to call them. So I was repeatedly getting called and text, and I was in Denmark, and they knew it. And it's like, can you get a hold of someone from God forbid or Behemoth because you guys were on that run in 2011? I think it might have been uh,
1: 2009. Uh,
0: 2002? yeah Yeah, mayhem mayhem fest no 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 i thought it was 2011 no it's 2009
1: you're right we were yeah we didn't do anything with behemoth in 2000 it was 2009 you're right yeah
0: um but they they wanted me to get hold of someone from you or behemoth or some other band to get them into the show so they could see slayer
1: yeah
0: like but you've got jeff's number Well, i don't want to i'm i'm ashamed to call him Look, man, you know, but they think that you know that that there's anything that they want that they're supposed to get, and I'm the guy that's going to get it for them. And you know, so it's like, let me just put a blanket statement out because sometimes it's it's easy, it's it's simple enough. There's you know people who think that if there's a this one who like who would who would contact me every time they heard that a band that they liked was going to come to town, even if the tour didn't come for five months. I would get a, hey, do you know anyone in the band or crew for blah, 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 blah? Because they're coming, like, that Tourism for, like, five months. And you're trying to get your hook up in already. And it's, it's like, people, don't, they think that it's, like, those movies where we're just walking around with, like, tickets in our pocket. You know, like, you ever see something, like, some stupid thing, like, a Saved by the Bell type show? And it's, like, I was at the mall, and I was in the parking lot, and a car came through, and I was about to hit this guy. And I grabbed him and yanked him. Out of the way, and he was the manager of blah blah blah, and he gave me four tickets to tonight's show. It was like they think that that's the kind of stuff that happens and no man, no, we're trying to make a buck out of here. It's like you gotta go go buy ticket like everybody else and, and that's the other you know I just I hate people man that's I
1: hate them. But, here, here, but here's but here's the 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 kind of like bearing the lead is really the reason why you know we became friends. You know, it's like we did that, that tour together with, with Never One Opeth. And we were, it was our first metal, like real tour, real wet behind the ears. And you just helped us all the time. And you were just really nice to us. So the bearing the lead is that I think the reason why all these people always hit you up and do stuff is because you're so nice that people take advantage of the niceness sometimes. That's my opinion. Even, if you, nice you hate, <laughs> even if you say you hate people. You're very, you're a very, you're a very kind and helpful person. Actually, there's another story, where, God forbid, we we did this headline tour in 2005, uh, and uh, Nemic, and Gold yeah, Horror, and Yep. and we were sharing a bus with Nemec and so we had 15 or 16 people on the bus. We had you know two bands and and crew, and we it they had these janky bunks, and we ended up and Willie had a bunk. And he just, he like I think you gave the bunk to like the merch girl or or something like. And he was literally would sit would sleep sitting up, <laughs> like just it's like I'm like Willie, you need to sleep. You're like no, I'm fine. <laughs> and just well, the thing, what what happened is
0: I would I would try to like lie down. Usually I would lie down on the couch, on the front lounge. But I would wait till everyone went to sleep, went to bed, and then the guy who was driving the bus would usually be up all day and then like i'd lie down and it's like basically i'd be lying down for maybe half an hour or something like that then i get hey willie are you up he'd want me to come up and talk to him to help keep him up up, you know or alert till the sun the sun was up then once the sun was up he felt okay but at night he would get drowsy yeah because he never go to sleep um and then, by the time that happened, I'd go back and I lay down. Then the early risers would get up. So,
1: yeah, that's probably, what I'm like, saying. You're too. That's what I'm saying. This, this, um, you know, difficulty with humanity is because that your your kindness has been taken advantage of. I would say you're too too. You're, you're too kind, sir.
0: Well, like I said, I. I uh i got one foot firmly on some part of an autism spectrum something ain't right here i don't know what <laughs> i don't know what it is I'm, I'm i'm enough regular to be able to recognize that something's not right but messed up enough to not care
1: uh, but but still everybody what but, but that's what i'm saying in your cantankerous nature it's it's something we all it's 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 very endearing. That's all I can say. That's why, that's why I say you're a, a bigger star in the community than any of the bands, all right? You're, you're the number one. Saying. You're the number one, all right? Just just, just, just saying there was, that. there was a lot of
0: bands, you know, back in the day, back in the, in the, in the burgeoning thrash metal scene of the early to mid-'80s, there were a lot of bands. But uh, there was one band I would read about, like in the zines, uh, that was from Atlanta, Georgia, called Hollow's Eve and they had this song called metal merchants and for me the best line of the song is towards the end of it where the guy goes we're all metal merchants and there ain't no fucking stars so yeah i'm not i don't believe in that whole star thing well like,
1: i well i mean in 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 the sense that um <laughs> well no actually I'll, i actually here's a better way to put it i think the way i view it i think people who are really like the long term uh, professionals, right? People who've kind of forged a career that's not going anywhere. Like, I don't cr- put a hierarchy in my mind between the band and the crew. Like, I feel like when we're out there, we're all together. We're a family and we're, you know, and 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 so that's why I say you're a bigger star than the bands. I mean, it's that, you know, that's... That's, th- that's simply because a lot of times I'm more instantly recognizable. <laughs> so... Did anyone ever think... Y- did ever anyone, when you are on tour with us, anyone think you were Byron? Yep. Yeah.
0: Here's the thing, it's like, if, if I'm on like a uh, a tour with more um, extreme bands, I'm Terrence Hobbs. <laughs> if I'm out with like- some- He at least wears glasses,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But then when I was, when I was, I, you guys thought they would think I was Byron. Yeah. Uh, when I was doing something like a rock band, um, especially in the days when I had more hair, the old age has set in now. You'd be Terrence Trent Darby? <laughs> no, they thought I was uh LeJean Witherspoon. Okay. Well. I was I was with the band on tour with Seven Dust, and Lejean was maybe two hundred feet away, a hundred feet away. like at the basically he was about a semi truck's length away from where I was standing, and I got surrounded by people want me to autograph stuff because they swore I was him. And I even pointed him out and they looked
1: you don't looked look anything at you up. don't look anything like Lejeune.
0: I even took me and him took a picture side by side once that I put on, like, on social media. I'm like, you see the differences? And, I, and Corey Pierce uh, uh, basically just roasted me on it. <laughs> I had no it was a long story, but I had no shirt what on should. at the time and he told me that my chest looked like
1: fried taco meat <laughs> or something. So, <laughs> As Corey is out. Uh, <laughs> he used to say that about, about uh Byron too. So don't don't you know? <laughs> we'll we'll see,
0: there's a Byron connection again.
1: Yeah. It, it, it goes that way. But you know, that's being around the God forbid dudes, our whole existence is roasting each other. It's just dissing everybody. That's just what we do. It's it's so funny, like actually being moving to LA, you know, away from the East Coast, because that's just how people from the East Coast relate to each other is by busting balls. And so, oh, but then, you know, go ahead.
0: No, I was your boy Corey said that New Jersey is the uh, original birthplace of the asshole.
1: Yeah, no, you no, know I said, it's like, <laughs> I was like, it, like, one of my biggest problems with like social media now is like people, they'll act like an asshole, right? And then they'll get clapped back, right? And people are like, what do you? What are you? And, and then they're like, that's the problem is people can't take anything. My first, right? My first amendment right? It's like, no, no, no. These are the, you act like an asshole and then you get the response, you know, call, response, action, reaction. The thing is about Jersey, we we knew we were assholes. So we didn't defend it. We wouldn't go like, how dare you? It's like, yes, I said some asshole shit and that's what I did. Like, oh if you're an asshole, just own it. Just be an asshole and, and absorb it and mm, mm. Talk shit get shot <laughs> all time classic it's an it's an all time classic well, one more thing before i before I let you go well like what have we even been talking about this all time?
0: this is crazy but uh anyway
1: listen i listen them. i had a listen, I prepare for the show, okay, believe it or not okay so i, I have i have a a th- of you know, people they went for like my version of motley cruz the dirt and it, I, no kind of, I, I wasn't
0: coming, but no i only wasn't are, but Anyone who's watching this probably is hoping to get to get some you know
1: Nah, man. no, I listen, I believe it or not, mm. I feel like there's a version of this show that could be semi exploitative or 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 exploitive. am I saying it wrong? Um, there's a version of that where I could kind of mine for things that'll get headlines or things. and I just to me i, I I got to live in this world of music and, and I got to see a lot of people. It's not me getting a few extra downloads. It's not worth, uh, it's, it's way
0: worth. too easy for TMZ to get to you out there.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, but usually when, you know, if I have, you know, I had John Bush from, you know, from Armored St. Anthrax on, on, in that show, and it got picked up by blabbermouth, like in a good way. And you know, they got a ton of downloads and it's great. Um, It's great when that happens, but thankfully it's never like this person talked shit about their old band or said something like, I don't really want to be part of that. Like, and I, I could go after those interviews of people, like someone just left a band and they're like heated and you could kind of, you know, but I just, I try, try to stay away from that. If I can, you know, I think the closest I had, I had Mark Rizzo on like right after he left Soulfly, but I tried to keep it really like, you know diplomatic and because and you know i'm obviously a fan of soulfly and those people and i'm a fan of mark and i just want i want i want everyone to get along mm-hmm. ultimately i prefer it that way you know but uh no i just wanted to get an idea what the what the future is looking like are you are you, you are you still do you consider yourself a lifer for the road are you going to try and like maybe wean, wean down some of that stuff
0: you know, i don't know it's like I always, there was people who, like, because, you know, some lunatic told people that I was retiring. That's not what I said. Basically, I said, I don't want to work for you anymore. Uh, and that turned into, I'm retiring. But um, I still like what I do. There's a whole lot about what I do that I don't like. But, you know, it's just like everything else in life. You kind of, you take the, the the good and the bad together. And, and if you're me, you just complain about the bad and then you do it anyway. Um, but uh, there's I, I've got some other things that I'm interested in. Um, I haven't really started really, you know, putting those plans to fruition and, and acting on certain things yet, but I've got some plans for some things that I'm doing. And um, I definitely, I'm, I'm, I'm not planning to stop touring anytime soon, uh, health uh, providing, because the whole, the back
1: thing you're talking about, that's a real thing. Um, do You have like think. actual physical things that need to be attended to. Um. Yeah, probably
0: mostly mentally for still doing this crap. Uh, but uh, no, it was just you know I'm old, man. It's like and and uh, I I can't keep that pace up uh, like I used to. The whole thing of uh, you know remember that that office office that we did. Uh, by the end of it, I was I was helping out Haybreed and Lacuna Coil as well because I can't mind
1: my own damn business. Um, I don't think I even probably realized that. We were just... You're, you, guys were, you're, you guys were at the Yeaver
0: tent, you know, sending autographs and stuff. No, you right? know
1: what probably was is the day ended so early. You were probably like, might as well do something, we right? Do.
0: You know, I see something wrong and I go and I up helping out. Well, one thing, um, I guess um, Lacuna Coil had a tech they had to leave. And they hired a guy who showed up drunk and created a bunch of problems and got fired on the spot. And I was there. So I'm like, I hope you guys out, you know. So... That's how that went, and I don't I don't know how I wound up with. I think I was just there with Hatebreed one day, and so you know, I don't know. And Sully, Sully the Bull, uh, was was tremendous at the time, and and I'd known him from uh, when Shadows Fall actually supported King Diamond in the uh, summer of two thousand. I got yeah. to know him, so I wound up helping Breed as well. And you know, so by, by by the time you know a week or two went by, it was just this thing, and I was I was just doing it. but but you're right you know you you play for 20 minutes or whatever and you you get up early in the morning you prep for it and you do your 20 minutes and at the latest by like three in the afternoon at at, but you're done for the for the most part it's like what are you going to do so um, especially but you know it's not like there was that much entertainment going on I don't Drink or anything, so like I'm not going to try to you know mooch free drinks from the Ager tent or or whatever. But you guys had like Fye to do and yeah, and the yeager signings and all that other
1: stuff. So you basically, you you could have went and, and caught uh, Dimmu Borgir every day, you know. And, and I did that a couple of times. Just do some windmill headbangs, you know. Oh, yeah.
0: no, See, oh. <laughs> I remember, remember when uh <laughs> when we were at the Seattle show, and the Nevermore guys were there, and uh they were all, like, hanging around over at main stage, and they had second stage guest passes. They weren't really supposed to be there, but, you know, they're a band, they're kind of, like, blending in, you know, for the most part, you know, and they're trying to make sure they blend in so they don't get caught, and uh, they're there, you know, to, to, you know, see the demo guys and hang out, because, you know, they, they got a long friendship with those guys. So, they're there, and uh... <laughs> Van and Jeff managed to, you know, get in with the mix, and they're kind of there, but Worrell and Jim somehow got busted and they're being thrown out. And, <laughs> and so Jim was just kind of going on whatever. Oh, damn it. But Worrell, of course, was putting up a fight about it. He was protesting. And uh, the security was leading him out and he stopped and said, like, Hey, aren't you Worrell Dane from, you know, from Nevermore? And Worrell goes, Yes. Now can I stay? And the guy goes, <laughs> No, I'm sorry. You gotta go to that. He's, you know, <laughs> that. But then he sees like banjo He was like, "Whoa, oh, check their passes. Check that their- they're not supposed to be here either." He started trying to throw them under a the bus and ride with that. The guy wasn't listening. He was just dragging him to the exit. I'm watching the whole deal. That was the funniest shit ever. So they went back and uh, and hung at second stage with the Lacuna uh, guys, and they were kind of like soaking about it.
1: Here's the what I don't get though. Much, much later, Demo Borgir was on the main stage. Yeah, if they're such good friends. Why didn't they get the main stage passes? That doesn't make sense to me. Uh, maybe the tour manager just wouldn't. Somebody you know. somebody screwed up.
0: Yeah. You know how that, that is. There's been a lot of times where like, the band kind of goes, oh, I stay out of it. And maybe, you know, Jez Hale, I think, was the tour manager. Maybe he wouldn't
1: let them have the passes. By the way, you know? the, the following year, in 2005, George Valley hooked me up with a Black Sabbath pass. Really? So I got to go every, anywhere I wanted. It was incredible. And I haven't seen George in, in quite a while. Yeah, he's uh I I I would text him about that long ago. He's kind of like in the background doing like artist artist management stuff and he's just he's killing it. Love George. I tried been trying to get him on the show does for a long still, time. he still have the cybers? I don't think so. Nobody grew the cyburns. Yeah, he was he was the king. He was the king. Well, listen, Willie, I I love you, brother. I really appreciate you being on here. There's um you know, it's a big part of this show is just kind of codifying uh these relationships that we've had over such a long period of time um and kind of just you know just encapsulating that 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 experience because mm-hmm. i've just been really fortunate you know to, to be doing this for this long and someone like you that's, it was just so pivotal in you know on a tour like that when we first met making us feel welcome like that i think people don't realize how that like how that goes a long way uh when you're a young band when you have people that you know, you don't, no one has to be nice to you or it doesn't have to be helpful, but it does. And, and especially when we were struggling just to get through and any any little bit of help just just goes a long way. And I just appreciate you just you know working with us and ho- hopefully we'll do something again at some point, know, be, be on the same tour or whatever, man. But uh, but you're you're a treasure and I want you to know that you're appreciated.
0: Thank you very much, Doc. I appreciate that. You're a stand up guy.
1: Thank you, okay. sir. Thank you. Well, listen, brother, have a good day. I'll talk to you soon and keep yeah, rocking Maybe Next right?
0: time we talk, I'll actually have something to talk about.
1: You had plenty to yeah. talk about. It was, it, it was, fan. I talked plenty. I don't know what it was about. There was there's plenty of talk about. <laughs> well, take take care of that back. All right. Don't overexert yourself. Get that's what loaders are for. All right. Point, you point and then they lift.
0: Or or as one unscrupulous uh, stage manager I know used to refer to them as
1: helper monkeys. Oh, see. Uh, I, I I nope. I'm not I'm not touching that. <laughs> this guy used to yell at me,
0: Where are those helper monkeys? Because you know, yeah. Luckily, there are some great crews out there. But you know, a lot of times it's like, you know what? I'll just do it myself. Because it's just like, if I don't, I'm gonna end up having to fix a lot of stuff tomorrow.
1: I understand that, but that's why your back is hurting. So I'm the same way. All right, Willie. You take care. I hope your new year's treating you oh. well. Keep rocking. Peace. <laughs> That was in the fire. You may recognize it from the Roadrunner United album. What year did that come out two thousand seven or something like that? And that track features Matt Heafy. I think he wrote it from Trivium, and Corey from Trivium, and King Diamond, of course, on vocals. That's why I played it because Willie works with uh, King Diamond and also Dave Chavari from El Nino on drums. And I forget who played bass on that, but that's my favorite song from that album. And so any excuse to play a rock and killer metal song, I will, I will do that. But I hope you enjoyed my conversation with, with Willie. As I said, he's quite a, quite a personality and I just love the dude. And I'm so happy he just took the time to be be on the show. And And you guys who are not in the behind the scenes of the metal world get to Enjoy him as much as as we have uh being being in the band guys. He's a real he's a real treasure. And I uh I really appreciate his friendship through the years. So that was a lot of fun. What is going on right now? What's going on right now is your boy? You know, I I got a lot of interviews I'm trying to land. You know, I got some, you get some emails out, I got some people texting. You know, it's a lot of back and forth. I mean, we got we got some good stuff in the works, but I thought I was getting caught up and then I'm kind of behind again, <laughs> but that's all right. Tis, tis the life of a, someone who does many things, you know, uh, I've really been thinking, you know, about the role, I guess, of musicians in, in, in the modern day. And, and it seems like the ones that are really doing well, um, kind of see themselves as content creators in in general, right? So whether that's just being really connected to social media and kind of developing your platform, be it YouTube or TikTok or whatever, uh I just I just think it's so it's so important, you know, but then once you kind of commit to that, it's like, how do you find the hours in the day? And I haven't totally figured that out yet. But I do think uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm in, and I guess in a, in a new way, I'm kind of interested in constantly finding new spaces and going, okay, how can I be compelling in that space? Right. It's like kind of solving, um, a game to some degree and go, Oh, that, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna learn pool and let me get better at that. And I don't know. I guess I'm just kind of zooming out and just seeing yourself as maybe an entertainer or a a public persona to, to whatever degree and then go figure out how to create things that entertain people or enrich people or teach people or, or whatever and then also form kind of connections there and and I almost think it almost doesn't matter what genre you're in right if you're a musician if you're a comedian if you're uh you know commentator of some sort right vlogger or Uh, You look at TikTok, so much of it is comedy based and storytelling based or, you know, uh, I have some friends in there that do like, you know, Justin Wang, who's been on this show, does a lot of almost like uh, historical weird stories kind of type thing and that stuff does really well in there. Uh, I'm just, I'm just fascinated by it and uh, want to embrace it because it just seems like, a lot of room for opportunity, a lot of room for growth and uh and finding new audiences, which is which is always a beautiful thing. So anyway, it's very late here and I was exhausted. I don't want to do this, but you know what? I did it. And that's what you gotta do in life. You gotta grind some of these motherfuckers out. <laughs> uh, and I swear to God, like we were rehearsing and it sounded good, but some f- certain things I feel like I was getting worse at. It's like this weird thing with, with the, I don't know if it's rehearsing or just playing you're just, you're just kind of worn out and you start getting like, you know, I need actually a little rest, but I got to record some more guitars tomorrow, which is always fun. And, uh, that's what it's going to be. All right. I'm gonna stop running my mouth. I love you all. Thanks for checking out the show, telling your friends and mama's out.